Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, happy Thursday, folks. Happy Trudeau Testimony Day. If that's something you're uh, excited about, but I think a lot of people are, are kind of intrigued by this whole thing because, A, this, this whole We Charity scandal is kind of a juicy political scandal and certainly concerning, I think, for the liberals. And it's not often you see uh, a prime minister come before a commons committee to answer questions about a scandal. Now, I suppose on the one hand, you could say, well, good on the prime minister for doing so. Sure. We'll see how this goes. We'll see how willing he is to answer direct questions. But uh, at the same time, I mean, they kind of had no choice because the option of putting questions to the prime minister in the House of Commons in Parliament obviously isn't really an option right now, is it? So if he's not going to go before these Commons committees, then there's really no way for the opposition to to press him on all of this. And so I think they, they probably balanced all of this. But there's a lot of ways this committee appearance could go sideways for the prime minister. But uh, running away from this story and making it look as though you've got something to hide uh, by not even bothering to come before the committee at all isn't a good look either. So I'm sure it was a bit of a dilemma for them. Uh, They opted for this option. So coming up just after one o'clock. Uh, we'll hear as the Prime Minister, and I'm, I'm sure he'll get some some opening remarks, uh, but then we'll take some questions. And we saw the other day uh, that there are some MPs on this committee, uh, from both the Conservatives and the NDP, uh, who are pretty sharp and have some pretty pointed questions to ask and aren't going to take fluff and platitudes and nonsense as answers. And the Prime Minister's a little infamous on all of those counts. So we will go to that coming up a lot just after 1 o'clock this afternoon. Plenty of time for your reaction as well. Uh, Also today, we're keeping an eye on this. The Calgary Board of Education announcing some further details on how back to school come September is going to unfold. Uh, We got the announcement, of course, recently from the education minister. Uh, But the school boards have some discretion, some flexibility in terms of how they want to do this. So the CBE is going to be providing those details this afternoon. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Later on, speaking of kids, uh, some interesting new research out of McMaster University looking at kids and how much they spread this uh, novel coronavirus. We'll talk about that. A lot more to get to here this afternoon. Uh, Where I want to begin this afternoon, though, is the uh, end of the uh, spring sitting of the legislature, which uh, ended up as a fairly busy session from the government's perspective, I suppose a productive one in terms of the number of uh, bills they were able to pass. Obviously, debate was cut short on some of those bills, and, and obviously some of them were quite contentious. So we had uh, Bill 30, of course, which deals with health care, Bill 32, which deals with uh, organized labor and how they're able to operate. We had, as mentioned, the back-to-school announcement on top of that and everything going on with the response to the pandemic. So uh, lots going on in the province of Alberta. And we'll play for you coming up a little bit later some of what the Premier had to say in his end-of-session interview 
with Global News. Well, let's do our own end-of-session interview here this afternoon with the leader of Alberta's official opposition, Rachel Notley, former premier, of course, leader of the uh, Alberta New Democrats. It's Notley, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, just first of all, you know, from a parliamentarian's perspective and the challenge of, of doing your job as an MLA and, and everybody else as, as MLAs in this pandemic and having the legislature sit and having debates and, and all of that. What's your sense of how that's been working? Um, well, you know, it, it, there was definitely some changes uh, that, that made it a bit more challenging. Um, I would say uh, we were not as successful at collaborating around some of the changes as, we have, as we've seen in other jurisdictions, but ultimately we did uh, make it work. Uh, you know, we, we uh, certainly our caucus had to do a lot of, we were doing physical distancing, so we're doing shifts and, and all that kind of stuff. So it in, involved more coordination. And then, of course, just sort of engagement with the public. We didn't have the public coming into the legislature. Uh, we didn't, for long periods of time, didn't have the media coming in in person. Um, so it made for a different way of doing things. But, you know, I think uh, from a practical point of view, mostly we got, from that perspective, we got, we're able to get things done. Didn't really like what we got done. We can talk more about that, but sure. but I yeah. think we were pretty, pretty good at getting it done. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and there's a lot to unpack here. Obviously, I think it was a total of 34 bills uh, that were mm-hmm. passed, and, and obviously some of them had to do with the pandemic, but clearly uh, a lot didn't. A lot had to do more directly with uh, the UCP's agenda. So uh, when, when you look back in terms of what's really going to resonate uh, a year or five years from now, what, what stands out to you? Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to pick one. I mean, I, I sort of think of it in terms of, you know, the, the arc of time, you know, what, what they started with and, and where we went through and and, and, you know, I mean, we, the, the I, I kind of, there's basically a few buckets of, of legislation that they brought in. Um, you know, we started out with uh, Bill 1 and then a couple of other bills like that that were all very much focused on essentially shutting down um, uh, free speech and shutting down uh, uh, people's voices. And, and I include in that the, one of the last bills, 32, but there, but there was more than that. We also saw them... Uh, do something that that is unprecedented uh, from a parliamentary point of view in that they cut budget debate in half in order to ram through a budget that they admitted themselves um, uh, that was um, was uh, um, not really valid. Um, so that was uh, unfortunate because it certainly meant for less transparency around our fiscal situation. And then they brought in legislation to change the rules so that there was other parts of our fiscal situation that they were able to delay uh, sharing with Albertans. So that wasn't great in terms of uh, being open uh, and upfront with Albertans about what we were facing. In the long term, I think uh, in answer to that question, the the amount of money that they are taking from working people uh, through Bill 32, I think it's going to affect those families for a very, very long term um, until it can be uh, until it can be fixed. Um, and then, of course, they've also made changes with respect to pensions. And, and in the long term there, of course, that's going to have significant consequences for people's retirement security. Yeah, let's talk about the budget. And, and look, things have changed dramatically since that budget was first tabled. But, but even mm-hmm. at the time, it was seen as, as perhaps not necessarily grounded in, in the realities of the day. Are we going to need, what are we going to need? Do we need some kind of a, a fiscal update from the government? Are they going to have to go back and redo the budget? Are we going to need an early budget for, mm-hmm. for next year? What, what, where do they need to go from here? Well, what they should have done is what most other jurisdictions did, which was 
put uh, budgeting on hold to get a handle on what was happening from a fiscal perspective and then bring in a fulsome budget, you know, late summer um, and uh, or, or in the fall. Instead, what these guys did was they, they, they claimed that there was an emergency and we had to accelerate passing of this fake budget because, you know, everything was going to grind to a halt. Uh, they passed the fake budget. Of course, then they kept us in the House for a further six months. So obviously that was a, a, a completely bogus argument. And now what we're going to get is a fiscal update uh, at the end of August, right before the long weekend, where they will spend an hour talking about it and debating it. Um, so it's, a, it's profoundly inadequate in terms of uh, speak, speaking openly to Albertans about the state of our fiscal situation. And, and it's really important, obviously, because we see a budget that includes significant cuts to health care and significant cuts to education. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, the back-to-school plan, um, and, and uh, this is not a time to be cutting education, yet that's what uh, we see going forward. Well, let's talk about that back-to-school plan, and uh, the Calgary Board of Education is going to be providing some further details on, on what their mm-hmm. plans are. But we did get the announcement from the education minister in terms of how they see all of this unfolding. Uh, you put forward a, a very different plan, obviously. Mm-hmm. I, I do wonder, though, I mean, the idea of um, capping class sizes, uh, hiring enough teachers to be able to manage that, finding the space to, to do all of that, how, how realistic mm-hmm. is that? Well, I mean, it would be more realistic if you'd actually had a minister of education who started working on it three or four months ago. But listen, you know, I've sat around the cabinet table. I know what it's like to go to the public service and say, nope, this is a priority. We're going to have to think of things being done very differently. And we're going to be having uh, reg- you know, daily meetings and we're going to push you on these on these uh, sort of uh, out-of-the-box uh, strategy planning um, initiatives that we need you to take and to lead. And and it can be hard, but it can be done. Uh, what we got from our our Minister of Education instead was a very uh, negligent, casual, um, slapdash plan that was basically, we're not making a plan, and we're just going to cross our fingers and hope things go okay, and we're going to justify that by making sloppy references to other jurisdictions that they don't even understand, that in fact did put in place the very kinds of strategies that we were recommending. So I will grant you that, I mean, I think actually the costing that we attach to our plan is more than what it would ultimately cost, but we were being cautious to, and, and trying to be upfront that it might be that much. Um, you know, not every 15 person class has to have a teacher in it all the time. You can work creatively with educational assistance and, and matching it with other forms of online learning, all that kind of stuff. But the key is that you have to identify these things as a priority. And what we know is that in the absence of that, and in a place like Calgary, for instance, uh, you know, uh, over half of Calgary's high schools are over 100% capacity. It is not possible for, you know, teenagers to physically distance in those schools. Yet we know they are the most likely to transfer the virus, even if they aren't necessarily themselves getting as sick. So, you, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a recipe for um, problems. And, and we need a government that's prepared to, to name that and, and confront it uh, in a responsible way. And that's not what we're seeing from this government. It's interesting. Ontario announced today their plan, and they're going to have kids, I think it's uh, from grade four up, but certainly mm-hmm. for, for older kids, for high school kids, that masks are going to be mandatory. Uh, mm-hmm. In lieu of having caps on, on class sizes, what, what do you think about the, uh, the approach of having students wear masks? 
Well, I think that it is a good idea to have students wear masks. I think you do have to put those rules consistently in place. Although, bear in mind, what they're also doing in Ontario is they're using, they are uh, uh, engaging in cohort uh, arrangements. So they don't have a specific, a hard 15-person cap, but they are actually working very hard uh, to keep the groups of of, uh, students um, small in terms of how they operate. And they're looking at a bunch of creative options there, specifically uh, the Toronto Board of Education. um, is, uh, is adopting a lot of the kinds of things that we were talking about in our approach, and it was actually from their planning that, that we got some of our ideas. But the point being, I think you're right, masks are important, and uh, I also think uh, finding ways to test more frequently um, and, and more effectively are, is important, And but at the end of the day, it's going to cost money. And this idea that, that, that the school boards, which are already under significant financial stress, can somehow find the money for this too, is magical thinking. And it's magical thinking at the expense of the health and the safety of 750,000 students across their province and through them, their families and their loved ones. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, we talk about masks and testing, and, and it's a conversation that's happening at the broader population level. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether the government has a plan moving forward to, to try to, to keep a lid on, on infections. I mean, Alberta's fared well up until this point. Uh, we've seen a surge in cases recently. Uh, do you get a sense that, that the government is just going to kind of ride this out or, or what the plan is and maybe what, what the plan should be? Well, you know, I, I, I do unfortunately get a sense from this premier that, that he's uh, starting to talk about being rather dismissive of uh, growth in cases and, and, and suggesting that, oh, well, we're going to see them, so everyone should get ready for it. And, um, and I, I think that's pretty cold, um, and I think that it negates um, the real feelings of people in, in their families who, who want to know that they can be safe. I mean, I literally walk down the street and I have people come up to me saying, I have asthma. Does this mean I'm not going to see my nephew for the next 12 or 13 months, um, for instance? Like that kind of thing. I mean, it's amazing how visceral this is. And so uh, I am concerned that uh, the strategy of this government is to simply dismiss the concerns that people have. And, I, and, and let me be very clear. Uh, you know, the NDP is not suggesting that we don't open schools, which is kind of one of these ridiculous suggestions that the uh, that the premier makes when he likes to uh, distract from what he's not doing. We're just saying we need to do it safely. And the same is the state is the case for our economy as a whole. I understand how important it is for us to be able to continue to get the economy moving forward again. But we just need to be uh, very careful. Uh, The cavalier attitude that you see embedded in the remarks of the Premier are what governed the outbreak, for instance, at the Cargill plant. And we can't have that. We need these kinds of issues to be taken very seriously. We can't look away and and suggest that that's just the cost of doing business. Uh, what happened in Cargill almost shut down the whole town and and people died, and it's not acceptable. Let me just, uh, one more question. I want to ask you about the situation with uh, Alberta doctors and just how tense things are now with, with the government. How do we fix this? How do we move forward? Well, I think basically it's it's pre- it's it's pretty simple. Uh, we, I mean, as, as we've said, we think the relationship with Tyler Shandro is utterly broken. So so he needs to be removed from the mix. But uh, ultimately, they have to get back to the table. Um, they have to uh, d- uh, engage uh, through a set of rules that the doctors uh, understand will be in place 
throughout the process. You can't move the goalposts uh, constantly uh, throughout the game. And that's what this government's been doing with uh, with um, the doctors. And, and so uh, even before you get to the issue of monetary compensation, we've now got this whole issue of, of trust and, and whether they can have certainty that this government will rely on the rules or be bound by the rules from one day to the next. Um, so they need to get back to the table. They need to establish a framework within which uh, both parties can operate, understanding that those are the rules. Um, and then they just need to roll up their sleeves and and uh, um, ne- negotiate this. But what they're doing right now is it's being very heavy-handed and these personalized attacks and, and this demonization of and name-calling of, of physicians and suggesting that, you know, 8,000, 10,000 physicians are, are, you know, awful people. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's just so, so damaging to um, uh, the public health care overall that all Albertans need to know they can rely on right now. Leave it there. Rachel Notley, thank you for making some time for us here this afternoon. Appreciate this. You bet. You take care. You as well. Uh, Rachel Notley, leader of the Alberta New Democrats, leader of Alberta's official opposition and former premier of the province of Alberta. Our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. Plenty to get to on this Thursday afternoon. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.